With summer closing in, I am so ready to ditch my cold weather clothes and say hello to shorts and tees. But I don't want to just buy what's trendy. I want to update timeless, high-quality summer pieces that I can utilize for all seasons and years to come without spending a fortune. And now I've got a lineup of beautiful clothes from Quince that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. Like premium European linen dresses, Blouses and shorts from $30. That's what I'm talking about, babe. There's washable silk tops, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less oh than gosh. similar brands. It's actually because they partner directly with top factories, so Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to you. I actually just ordered their linen shorts, tops, and pants that I plan to wear for this summer because they're lightweight, and I'm so excited to get them and start planning my Quince capsule wardrobe for my summer travels. Honestly, I have so much Quince clothing, and I love it all. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com husband for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash husband to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash husband when you're traveling do you ever stress about what's happening back home like did you forget to lock up or leave a window open that's why we totally suggest getting simply safe home security today for top-notch security and peace of mind no matter where your summer adventures take you that's actually such a good point i think that is one of the main reasons peyton and i love simply safe as well is did I lock the front door? Did I do this? Is a window open? You can just tell exactly what's going on in your home. Right. And I, I know like when we travel, it is so nice to just have that peace of mind to know that your home is okay. There's also a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras that we've installed. So we have view of our entire house, every entry point. Plus, I just feel relieved knowing that it's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash husband. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Everybody. Welcome back to our podcast. This is Murder with My Husband. I'm Peyton Moreland. And I'm Garrett Moreland. And he's the husband. And I'm the husband. We just want to say thank you to all of our listeners. If you are here on YouTube, please like and subscribe. And also don't forget to turn notifications on so you guys can be updated every single time a new video drops. And then if you are just here on podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review. It helps so much. We just, we appreciate all the love and support from you guys. It's really, really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. And then also this week, we have another Patreon episode dropping. So if you want to check that out and just search Murder With My Husband Patreon, I'm really excited for this week's Patreon episode. And also coming up soon on Patreon, we are going to have an episode where Garrett does the research of a true crime case and tells me the stories. And we've been asked for that a lot. And so I'm actually super excited for that episode. That'll be really interesting. So that'll be out on our Patreon. So go ahead and check it out. And then, um, Garrett, we still have your 10 seconds. Okay. Well, Peyton and I have been trying to eat healthier. And I'm just going to say it's extremely difficult. And because overrated. We, true. <laughs> <laughs> because we love food. Yeah. We decided that we wanted to try to do a healthier lifestyle. So we've also been doing like a walk every day together. And that's been fun. But the eating healthy it's part. It's too cold though. Yeah, it's been cold. Yeah. But the eating healthy part has not been fun. It's hard. We've just been miserable here. Seriously, I feel like I'm torturing myself. <laughs> it's horrible. But it's okay. We had pizza last night to try to offset it. So uh-huh. it was better. Okay, before we jump into the episode, I do want to update everyone. We have created a new way for case suggestions. So if you really oh, want yeah. to hear us cover a case... Go to our social media, Instagram, and click the link in our bio. It's Murder With My Husband on Instagram. Click the link in our bio and click Case Suggestions, and then just fill out the form. It's an easier way. Uh, We started getting so many that they were getting lost in all of the messages, DMs, emails, all of that. So we found a place to compile them into one. So go leave your case suggestion there. And this case that we're covering this week was actually suggested through our new way. So I was really excited about that. Yeah, I was going to say Peyton actually uses these case suggestions mm-hmm. so 
please go and suggest the case. And also, if you have previously suggested a case that we didn't get to cover yet, if you just want to go re-suggest it into our new way with the link in our bio, that would be awesome. So they're all just in one place for us. Yep. We are learning and growing. And as the podcast grows, we figure out new ways. So thank you for being understanding. So this case was suggested by Vanessa underscore M28 on Instagram. And our case sources are Cold Case Files Season 1 Episode 8, CrimeHistorian.com, www.wdrb.com, and CourierJournal.com. Are you ready? I'm ready. On September 10th, 1999, in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, 17-year-old Jessica Dishon is sleeping in. Shepherdsville is a small town, as everyone knows, everyone type thing. Generations of families have also stayed put in the area at this time in like 1999. Okay. Jessica's family is up and going about their normal morning routine. Her mother, Edna, was up at 530 getting ready to go to work. And her father, Mike, then walks Edna out to her car to see her off to work and then comes back into the house and wakes up Jessica's brothers, which are Bubby. His real name is Mike Jr., but they call him Bubby and Chris. It was time for Mike to go to work as well. So he wakes the boys up. He checks in on Jessica before he leaves for work. She's obviously still asleep, but she's 17. So she gets herself up for school. She gets ready and she takes her car and drives to school normally. So that's why they were like, we'll wake up the little brothers, but we don't wake up. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Bubby and Chris catch the bus for school and they and then usually around 630, Jessica would get in her own car and head off to school. Jessica Dawn Deshawn was born on May 2nd, 1982. In 1999, she was a senior at Bullet Central High School. She served in the female color guard, but quit ROTC to get a job because she wanted to buy the car that she was using to drive to school. Oh, okay. So Jessica planned to attend culinary school after enjoying her senior year. She was a good student with good grades. At her job at Hardee's, she was a hard worker and trustworthy, according to her boss. Hardee's is like a Carl's Jr., right? Yes. Or isn't it? I think it's Hardee's. Oh man. Okay. Hardee's is a, <laughs> We're like always a so bad. I feel like when there's something we don't know. It's, it is like a Hardee's Carl's is Carl's Jr. Aren't they owned by the same? Yeah. I'm pretty sure they're owned by the same. I have no idea, but I know it's okay. similar food to Carl's okay. Jr. Well, sorry if we find it anyone. It's still that. a star. It's a star, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I literally just yesterday got sent a meme about Menards again. And no they were way. like, hey, I saw this TikTok about Menards and I thought about you That's guys. That's funny. That's funny. So Jessica actually wanted to get out of Shepherdsville after high school, but she had just bought her new car. She supposedly had just gotten a new boyfriend and she got along well with her friends. So her life was full of possibility and happiness. It was going good, but she was also eager to move on after high school. Okay. Jessica's mother decides to go to the grocery store after work and then she heads home around 1.30 p.m. So she must work like a morning shift type thing, heads to the grocery store and then gets home around 1.30 p.m. She notices when she pulls into her driveway that Jessica's red Pontiac is in the driveway as well. That's weird because Jessica should have taken it to school, That's right? Cool, yeah. Edna goes inside and checks Jessica's room, hollers for her, but finds her bed empty. Jessica's not answering. Confused, she heads back outside because she could have sworn she saw Jessica's car when she pulled in. How could she be gone if her car is still there? And that it was. Jessica's car sits empty in the driveway. Her mother walks over and opens the driver's side door. She sees Jessica's backpack and purse in the back seat. She notices the keys to the car are on the floorboard. Jessica's cell phone and one of her shoes were on the passenger seat. So Edna is like, what? So she immediately calls her husband, Mike, and asks him if he happened to take Jessica to school that day. Mike says, no, I didn't. Edna, worried, asks him, well, is her car not working? Did someone else take her to school? He's like, I don't know, but try to turn her car on and see if it's working. So Edna puts the key in, turns it on. It's working fine. And it's also weird that her backpack's inside. Yeah, because how would she have gone mm-hmm. to school, right? So Mike rushes home at this point to check out what's going on himself And when he gets there, he opens the car door. He picks up Jessica's cell phone off the passenger seat. So keep in mind, this is 1999. So the cell phone looks like those those like newer home phones that are just a keypad with a little screen. Uh Does that make sense? Yep. He picks it up, looks at the cell phone screen. The numbers nine and one 
are dialed no on the old cell phone screen. No way. Yeah. No way. But the call button was never pressed because it used to have to be that you press nine one. Well, whatever your whatever number you're typing, call. If you don't press call, the numbers just stay on the screen waiting for you to finish the call. I mean, similar to an iPhone, right? Yeah. If you were to dial, it's then- just that back then the phones were just phones, yes. nothing else. So that's really the only thing that would have been on the screen. Does that yep. make sense? So the number was half typed and waited to be finished and then called. Jessica's parents can't breathe. They know their daughter Jessica is in trouble. It obviously she I was obviously imagine. trying to type nine. Well, I can't imagine. They call the high school, her high school, only to be told that Jessica hadn't shown up for school that day. And this is when their like fears are just confirmed. Mike and Edna rush to the sheriff's department around five PM to report Jessica missing. A rookie deputy named David Greenwell responds to the report and has a bad feeling right away. He calls his senior detective, whose name is Charles Mann, to ask for extra help. This case seems important, like I'm a little worried. Mm -hmm. Charles Mann tells the rookie that Jessica was just a runaway and would turn up soon enough. Jessica's father, Mike, tells them that his daughter isn't a runaway with one shoe on and one shoe left in her car with the rest of her belongings. And the phone, she was trying to type 911. Why would she have run away? So immediately there's only one rookie detective that is taking the case seriously and that's it. It's like a TV show, you know, where everyone just like, no one takes it seriously. And So the next day, September 11th, 1999, David Greenwald checks out the scene, which he fully believes is a crime scene. A teenage runaway does not leave everything important to her behind in her car. State police and detectives should have been called in immediately. Yeah. But rookie Greenwall can't get any help. He does his best, takes pictures, but he's not wearing any gloves. He's letting people get in the car. He's a rookie in a small town. That that Uh just is double whammy, you know. The next day, they set up. So keep in mind, this is day three, and this is all we've seen happen, happen, really. So the next day, they set up a civilian search to look for Jessica. Keep in mind, this isn't the cops setting it up. This is her parents setting it up. But Mike and Edna are mad. They are mad that cops aren't helping. They are mad that no one who is even trained to find their daughter is helping. They are getting on the local news stations and complaining about the job the sheriff's department was doing for their daughter. Like, they're vocal. They're mad. What happens? Like, do you know how long someone has to be declared a runaway before... They so start investigating or is it just per case? So kind of back a while ago, like there was like a standard golden rule and I don't think it was like written, but it was like, we wait 48 hours before we say, oh, they're missing. Okay. But then as time went on, people were like, hey, the first 48 hours are the most important, important. part of a missing person case. Mm-hmm. Like that is the window you have to find them before it probably turns into a murder case. Okay. And so from then on now, hopefully and usually when you call it, you're taken seriously, but we still see cases all the time where they're not. Mm -hmm. But I would say that most departments know that they should take it seriously, especially one like this where nine one is dialed on the phone. Her shoe is in the car, her car's at home, her, all of her belongings, her cell phone. That's not really typical for a runaway. runaway. During these civilian searches, people in the community really show up for Jessica. Her uncle, Mike's brother, whose name is Stanley, he tells Mike and Edna that he thinks if someone was going to kidnap someone and kill them in this small town, they would most likely throw the body in the river bottoms. So in this town, the river bottoms are the pit for illegal and bad things in Bullock County. So river bottoms, is that just a nickname for like yes, by the river? Yes, it's kind of by some like bodies of water, but it's also just a woody area, like kind okay. of back roady and where scary things in this town happen. It's not like you go hang out at the river bottoms if you're looking to do anything good. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It kind of said that the teenagers would go down there and party and drink and, you know, So they are searching the river bottoms at this point and it's hard on the family. I mean, the river bottoms is a scary area and this is where they're looking alone without any help from law enforcement. To maybe find their daughter who's dead. Yeah, that's what they're looking for. I mean, they're hoping she's alive, but when you search somewhere like the river bottoms, you're not searching for someone who's alive. Stanley, the uncle, actually begins vomiting as they're searching for the body. Just because he's so sick? Everyone's just so sick about this. Like their daughter is missing. It's only friends and family and other locals out there. And they don't find anything on this first civilian search. And they search all day. 
A couple days later, as the Dishon family is trying to understand their new reality. So think about this, like their daughter's missing yet. They still have two other boys. They have to feed the family. They have to go on, you Mm -hmm. know. Jessica's brother, Chris, goes outside one night to feed the dogs because someone has to feed them. He comes running back into the house frantically and tells Mike, Jessica's dad and his dad, that he thinks he just heard Jessica outside yelling, help me. What? Yeah. So Mike grabs his gun and runs outside to try and figure out if he can hear her, if he can find her. Is she close to the house? Did she escape from whoever was holding her? What's going on? Stanley, the uncle, was pulling into the driveway at this point, and together he helps his brother Mike start searching the area. So they're just searching around his house? Around the house, because that's where her brother Chris said he heard her. Yeah. Keep in mind, they have property. Up on the hill, they see a fire. And so as they get closer, they realize that someone is burning clothes in a barrel on the top of the hill. No way. That someone was a man named Bucky Brooks which was the family that was the neighboring property to the Dishon's family. So it's like they're neighbors, but it's Got not it. like they're okay. close. It's just that the, the properties have a line between them. This is their side and that's their side. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm trying to decide, like, is that suspicious? I think it's suspicious that a girl goes missing and then the neighbor's burning clothes burning in a clothes. barrel. Okay. I think that's a little suspicious. Yeah, I was just curious because, I don't know, people burn stuff all the yes, time. Yeah. So yeah. Especially out in the country, like maybe in the city, you're like, no, we don't. But out in the country, people have fires and and burn items all the time. Mm -hmm. This was kind of weird because, okay, I heard two differing sources on this. I heard that the relationship between the two families was already sour or that this was the point where it went sour. But either way, from here on out, this relationship is not good with between the Brooks family and the Dishon family. He goes up, Mike goes up and goes, hey, Bucky, can I search your property? Because we've been doing civilian searches. I think it's weird you're burning clothes. And Bucky's like, no, you can't search my property. And so instantly Mike is like, why wouldn't he let Would us? you say no if someone came up to you? I'm Honestly, just curious. if it was, if it, I don't know. I because don't have a lot of Because you're very like, make sure you get an attorney. Make sure you do this. Yes. Don't talk to anyone. Yes, so I'm yes. curious if you would have said yes. Because I mean, that's the thing is Bucky has his right to say no to you. Uh-huh. And then if the police come, he has his right to say, no, you need a warrant that yes. he has a right to do that. And I fully believe in that. Right. All right. You guys, audible is your one stop app for all things, audio entertainment from bestsellers and the latest releases to celebrity memoirs and gripping mysteries. Audible's library is brimming with countless genres to love and new discoveries to make. Dive into an unparalleled selection of audiobooks and explore exclusive Audible originals brought to life by top celebrities, renowned experts, and fresh voices. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Plus, you can enjoy unlimited access to a growing selection of audiobooks, Audible originals, and podcasts such as with my husband. Honestly, I love Audible because I will get into a story while I'm cleaning or driving. Sometimes I get so hooked listening to a story. I just end up finding new places to clean or just end up sitting in my car, which drives Garrett nuts, but I'm out there sitting there. New members can explore Audible free for 30 days. Also this March through May, the Audible sweep you into a realm of intrigue and suspense with their mystery and thriller collection, featuring exclusive new thrillers from their best-selling authors. Their selection is designed to captivate and surprise, ensuring your heart rate remains as elevated as your imagination. New members can try Audible for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash MWMH or text MWMH to 500-500. That's audible.com slash MWMH or text MWMH to 500-500. When we started podcasting, an online store was honestly the furthest thing from our minds. But now we're selling Murder With My Husband merch and it's so easy because we use Shopify. And we really do. We use Shopify to sell our merch. I've been using Shopify for years. So it is absolutely amazing, easy to use, so intuitive. I love it. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And it's great because they grow with you. So whether you're just launching your shop or you've just hit a million orders, they are there every step of the way. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. We've actually tried a couple other platforms before we started using Shopify to sell our merch and Shopify is just the best. Um, I've been using it for years, like I've said. 
and I just love having control over it and being able to do what I want. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash husband. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash husband now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash husband. But I don't have a lot of property. And if someone, if a girl, a 17 year old in our neighborhood went missing and they said, hey, can we look around your house? I would say, sure, I'll go look myself. I want to find this missing girl. Nope, totally. So I don't know. I don't know. Because I also do firmly believe in that. Right. So Mm -hmm. obviously this is the only nearby property near the family's house that hasn't been searched yet. Okay. Because they say, no, you can't search it. So after all of this, Mike called authorities to tell them what he saw. Hey, I went up, I saw um, Bucky burning clothes and that, you know, he wouldn't let me search the property. And authorities are like, hey, we'll go out and search the property. First, originally they go out and he says, no, you can't search. They go back and get a warrant. They come back. Oh, and so says, they yes, do get search. a warrant. Yes. Because Bucky uh, says no to law enforcement as well. Wow. Okay. They come back out with scent dogs and they, they do pick up a scent in the fire barrel. No. Yes. Like her scent. Or no, a scent just in general. A scent. The dogs trigger to the barrel. Okay. Police are immediately suspicious of Bucky, but definitely don't have enough to arrest him. Yeah. Obviously, this did not sit well with the Dishon family, and so they decide to reach out to the FBI and see if they will come help. You can do that. Yes, you can do that. You you personally can reach out to the FBI. And a say, lot of times, the, the FBI won't come in unless the local law enforcement is like, sure, we'll accept your help. But actually, the FBI has to be invited in. So it has to be invited in by a family member or by local law enforcement. Okay. The FBI agrees to come help. They search Jessica's room and car. This is actually the first time that local law enforcement takes the case somewhat seriously. So since the FBI comes in, local law enforcement is all of a sudden like, okay, we'll investigate it. Oh, they like started feeling the pressure. Backtracking, yeah. yeah. The FBI impound Jessica's car for further testing. Keep in mind, it had just been sitting in the driveway. Like they didn't take the car anywhere. They didn't really search the car. Which is also hard because I'm sure the rookie who searched it didn't have gloves. So things no. are probably all tainted now as well. well. So that's what I'm just about to say is that it's counterintuitive because it had already been touched by family, friends, volunteers, even media. Like a journalist sat in the car and did a story uh, from her car. Yeah, so there's way too many people. The car was only one of many mistakes made by the local law enforcement during this investigation. Refusing to search within the first 48 hours was a big one for a missing person case. And then all of the compromised evidence just adds onto the disaster of an investigation Mm -hmm. that this has been. Although fingerprints and trace evidence is shot from the car, which is really the only piece of evidence they have. Oh man, that sucks. But like they have the car and everything and now they can't search it. Mm -hmm. Because it's just like, well, everything's compromised. Even if they do find something, It might lead them to someone, but it's not going to hold up in court. Uh You know what I'm saying? The FBI does find, though, a piece of plastic that has been broken off of the driver's seat. And so this leads the FBI to conclude that Jessica was most likely trying to call 911 when she was pulled out of her car, losing her shoe, breaking her seat and dropping her keys on the floorboard. That's how they think the whole crime scene came to be or this. I don't know if it's a crime scene, but how this whole situation in the car came to be. I can't believe that someone might have just came up and pulled her out of the car, like just yanked her out of the car. And that's the thing is she must have thrown her like she must have been fighting because for her shoe to end up on the passenger side, she would have had to have been sideways. Kicking. Yes. Yeah. Which is just horrible. horrible. Yeah. So the FBI brings in helicopters and they search by air as well as they bring in guys to search the nearby ponds. They also up the award to $11,000 that had previously been $8,000 that was raised solely by Jessica's family from like local people. Mm -hmm. The FBI even searched the Brooks farm, the neighboring family's farm. While during that search, they find a photo of Jessica in the farm. It's like her school photo. They just find like a printed out photo. What in the world? Why the heck does he have a picture of the missing 17 year old neighbor girl? And they're not friends, right? No, no, I mean, not really. I don't think. That's weird. It was just randomly on the property. So the family, the Brooks family? Yes. What do they consist of? Like how many kids, you know, how many parents? I couldn't find that information. And I'm, I'm assuming it's because they were protecting. All they talk about is Bucky. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because most of the family is probably still alive. So September 27th, 1999, 17 days after Jessica went missing from her driveway, a woman named Karen Hobbs is driving through the river bottoms, taking a shortcut 
when she notices something sitting up against a tree. Karen gets out of her car to investigate, but immediately calls the police when she realizes what she found. She doesn't even walk all the way up. Jessica Dawn Deshawn's body was resting against a tree in the river bottoms just 17 days after she was last seen alive. The FBI forensic team arrives, and this is the first option for evidence that won't be compromised. Does that make sense? Because the body, sadly, is going to be evidence in the case. So this is the first time that it can be done correctly. So she was just resting, just sitting up against a tree? Yeah. Oh, And so Mike was right then. He figured that if anything had happened, it would be at the river bottoms. It was Stanley, the uncle who said that. Stanley, sorry, yes. If anything happened to her, she's going to be in the river bottoms in this town. Oh, man. Yeah. Jessica's body, though, was so badly decomposed that she was completely unrecognizable. So you, you have to imagine, like how you said, she was just sitting up against the tree. Yes, but it was it didn't wouldn't look like us just sitting up against the tree. Was it summer? Yes. Okay. She was partially clothed, and her jewelry was found near the body. The sheriff, Paul Parsley, drives to the Dishon's house and informs them of the discovery. Like, hey, we found the body. Edna replies to the sheriff. Now are you going to say to me that she's a runaway? Oh, man. That gives me the chills. Yeah. That's so sad. I cannot imagine how frustrating and devastating it would be as parents to feel as if no one was helping you in the biggest traumatic experience. You know what I'm saying? I, I know that in distress, it's easy to blame and be angry. So I'm not I'm never surprised when when families of missing people are already angsty but i really do believe that this case was not properly investigated and it was blatantly obvious no one believed them no one trusted them and the daughter had been sitting out there for what they think is 17 days oh that's so horrible like i stated earlier i watched the cold case files for as a case source on this episode and both edna and mike were interviewed in it so you can see them personally talk and it was just heartbreaking to yeah. to hear them talk about it although it had been years and years since this case had happened the wounds like were obviously still fresh to them sometimes you see parents who have reserved it they were very like it this just happened yesterday for mm-hmm. them the pain was so real and I don't think you ever get over something like this. So I just pray that they feel peace at times in their life because they were obviously still very affected and devastated in yeah. their interviews. They were asked at the back into the case, they were asked to identify the tattoo on the decomposed body to see if it might confirm that it was Jessica. So they go to the parents and say, can you come confirm that this decomposed body is our, your daughter? Do they really need to do that? No, they'll be able to test it. It's just a faster confirmation uh-huh. for them. That would just be, I don't know. Yeah. It'd just be scarring, yeah. I guess. And like, they don't have to. I mean, yeah. they, can, they can say no. Mike is like, no, I will not look at her that way. I can't even believe you asked me that. And Edna's like, I'll go. I'll mm-hmm. go look at the body. So the medical examiner determines that the cause of death was strangulation. So this was a kidnapping and then a murder. Mm -hmm. Jessica had a broken jaw. Some of her fingers had been cut off. She had been severely beaten, raped, and tortured. She had been alive for three days after the kidnapping. So do you know what that means? Gosh, that if yeah, that means that while the parents were begging the police to take them seriously, Jessica was sitting somewhere being tortured. That is okay. Oh, I Horrible. Just, I hate like thinking about it. Just yeah. yeah. So investigators determined that her body had actually been moved from where she was originally dumped. She was dragged 15 feet to the tree that she that they found her on, and that was a place that she could be seen from the road. So whoever did this wanted Jessica's body to be found because she was originally hidden, and they came back and moved her so okay. someone would find her. Was she dead at this point? Do you know? Yes. Okay. Yes. The small town was in shock about the murder and a vigil was held followed by her funeral. And also they still hold vigils for her, apparently is what I've heard, which is awesome. Bucky Brooks was the main suspect at this point. He had told police that he had seen Jessica walking down the road that morning that she was kidnapped, but then said, no, I was actually busy in bed with my wife all morning. So he's already changing his story. But then the wife comes in and is like, no, uh, -uh, we were not sexually involved that morning. I don't know what he's saying. He's using me as an alibi. I'm not, I wasn't with him. He's lying. That would be kind of awkward as husband and wife. Yeah. So the FBI polygraphs Bucky. And he fails it. And then there is a grand jury indictment. Never get a polygraph. Against, never get a polygraph. Actually, in this case, maybe get a polygraph. You're going to see why. Okay. So he fails it and there's a grand jury indictment brought against Bucky. 
Bucky was immediately taken to trial. So keep in mind, what evidence do they have against Bucky? Nothing, really. The picture. That he was turning around lying in the picture. Uh-huh. His his behavior. That's not even circumstantial evidence. It was he behaved badly in, in the interrogation room. I mean, yeah, they have no physical evidence. I mean, he burned the cl- clothes, but there's no they evidence. They didn't ever like find yes. evidence of whatever. But, I mean, he, he had changed his story. He was acting yeah. weird. Bucky was taken to trial and charged with murder, and he was facing the death penalty. Bucky's lies and bad attitude made the prosecution's job easy at trial. They come in, they're like, look how he was acting. Look at this. Look at that. It's a no-brainer. No innocent person acts like that. Uh-huh. But the defense immediately proves how horribly the case was handled, even after the FBI was involved. Apparently, they did not freeze Jessica's body parts for further testing, which made the evidence expire, which means any further testing they want to do for that piece of evidence, they can't do because they didn't freeze it. Why did they freeze it? I don't know. What is going on? I know. The defense comes in and goes, don't charge him. Look how horribly this case has been handled. What the heck? The defense also put up a man named James Coulter, who they were saying did it instead of of Bucky. So they come forward with an alternate suspect. Okay. James even says at trial that he was Jessica's drug dealer and that he saw her after she went missing. So he says that at trial and the state's like, whatever, like we're Bucky's still the guy. Wait, he saw her after she went missing? Yeah, he says that he says, oh, I saw her on this date and that was after she had been kidnapped. I'm confused. How does that make sense? It doesn't, but I can't give you any more clarification and you'll see why in just a second. Okay. The trial really proved that the local law enforcement had their eyes solely on Bucky and never really cared to investigate the case. Actually, people were even surprised that he was charged with no physical evidence or a confession, literally just odd behavior in that picture. So when Charlie Mann, who this is the main detective in Shepherdsville, who originally said no to the rookie, the rookie asked twice, two separate times, can you come help me? And he said no, two separate times. He said, Jessica's just a runaway. He gets up on stand to testify and he was cocky on stand. He was like, listen, Bucky's the guy. We didn't even need to investigate it because Bucky's the guy. And he's hounded, he's hounded by the defense for his mishandling of the case. Like you didn't even take this seriously. And now you're just blaming Bucky, yeah. our, 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 our defendant. So the defense is asking him, how could you even charge my client? You have no evidence. You didn't care about this case. You didn't investigate. Why did you charge my client? Like, give us an actual piece uh-huh. of evidence. Detective Charlie Mann breaks the cardinal rule here in court and belts out because he failed the polygraph. Polygraph tests are inadmissible in court. You cannot mention the test, the results, even the happening of it. Not even he took a polygraph test. Basically, this is not 100%, but basically you cannot say the word polygraph test referring to the taking of one. If you do, it's immediate grounds for a mistrial. Why did he say that? Because he's cocky. What? Yeah. What is he doing? Also, because he's backed up in a corner. Why are you charging my client? He's already said the pieces of evidence and then he belts out. Well, and he failed the polygraph test. I'm surprised he actually even agreed to go on the stand. I, he, I don't think he gets a choice if you get subpoenaed. Oh, okay. so like and in the footage, the trial footage, I'll upload it on YouTube if you're watching, but he barely gets the sentence out and he failed the polygraph. So I felt, and the defense stands up and goes object <laughs> because he's like, he you idiot, right away. you idiot. Like this is grounds for mistrial. Yeah. You just got my client off. Uh-huh. The court has to declare a mistrial against Bucky Brooks for the murder of Jessica Dishon. The jury is dismissed, and in the courtroom, Mike begins yelling, like just having a fit, stands up, looks at the judge. How could you let him go? He murdered my baby. He's freaking out. Edna just begins sobbing, storms out of the courtroom like it's a huge thing. Yeah. These parents are just torn apart. They have been screwed over time and time again, and now they're getting screwed over Bucky getting charged for the murder. I thought the FBI was helping them. Well, they do, but they don't take the FBI doesn't yeah, take it to court. But like, I know. Can someone else help? I don't know. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. So, and this situation sucks because Bucky will most likely not be tried again without more evidence because now that it's become such a crap show at the first trial, the state's like, we need more evidence. Like, we can't just charge them with what we have. And because of that, the case of Jessica Dishon goes cold. So it's still open. During this time of it being cold, Edna and Mike get divorced. They can't handle the grief 
they can't handle that their daughter, this happened, that Dang. then the, the state screwed them over. Mm-hmm. It pulls them apart. Mike literally says in his interview, I lost my daughter, but then I lost my wife too. Oh, that's so sad. It, it was just horrible. And they haven't talked Ugh. since. It's horrible. Do you ever find that when you're traveling, you can't help but worry about what's going on back home? Like, again, did you remember to lock up everything or close all the windows? It's so easy for those little concerns to nag at you while you're trying to enjoy your trip. And that's why we highly recommend looking into Simply Safe Home Security today. It's all about giving you the top-notch security and total peace of mind, no matter where your summer adventures take you. It's like having that extra layer of protection so you can truly relax and enjoy your time away. You guys, I know that when we travel, it is so nice to just have that peace of mind. You know, it's not only for when you're home and you don't want someone breaking in, but like also when you're away from home and you just want to know that your house is safe. And that is what Simply Safe gives you. There's a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras we've installed. So we have a view of all our entry points. Plus, Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System 2024 by the U.S. News and the World Report. Simply Safe has given us and many of our listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/husband. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're jumping into an ad right now and I no joke, I've had this question. I think about it all the time because I hate getting sick. Do you ever wonder why some people just don't get sick? One of the reasons you can help yourself from getting sick is Armra Colostrum. Okay, obviously I had no idea that colostrum is the first nutrition we receive in life and is an exclusive source of all the essential nutrients we need in order to thrive. So what's amazing is Armra colostrum is a proprietary concentrate of bovine colostrum that harnesses over 400 functional nutrients to strengthen your immune barriers, your body's inside suit of armor, and the first line of defense against harmful particles from the environment that can trigger inflammation and actually make you sick i'm not saying that it 100 works for everybody because obviously you never know but all i'm saying is i haven't been sick since i started taking it well and the science behind it is so cool armor colostrum strengthens all four layers of your gut wall where 80 percent of your immune cells are housed and it's a rich exclusive source of antibodies that optimize your immune defense during cold and flu season plus in clinical trials bovine colostrum was found to be at least three times more effective than the flu vaccine at preventing the flu we've worked out a special offer for our audience receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash husband or enter husband to get 15% off your first order. Again, that's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash husband. So in June of 2012, so we were in 1999. We were in 2000, 2001 for uh-huh. Bucky's trial. And now 2012. Now we're in 2012. 13 years after the murder of Jessica, a woman named Lynn Hunt is hired to look into cold cases in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. She immediately looks into Jessica's case. Obviously, it's like the biggest cold case they have. And she's like, there's not much of an investigation here. She has nothing to go off of. There was like three boxes, which is nothing of evidence. And so she's like, I might be starting from scratch here. Yeah. She's like, there's nothing printed out. It's just sticky notes of notes. Like she, it's horribly organized. So Lynn visits Mike's house. That's just Jessica's dad. And Mike shows her Jessica's old room and they actually hadn't touched it since the day that she was kidnapped. They left it there as a, as a place to go visit her. Does that make sense? Did the FBI not investigate the room? I'm sure they did. Okay. I'm sure they did. But he shows her, well, we still have her room set up the way it was. And so she goes in and Mike's like, actually, here, here's this box. And Lynn opens it. And in the box is all of the evidence that had been left in Jessica's car. That's right. It was at her home in her room and not in an evidence locker when they were taking someone to trial for this murder. I feel like this isn't real. It's this not cannot real. be real. It's her cell phone, her shoe. Like, I'm just so confused. And I get it. It was contaminated. The FBI was probably like, we can't do anything with this evidence anyways. Yeah. But like, at least put it in a locker. Wow. Okay. For the cold case for Lynn, she's like, well, okay, this is kind of cool. You know, like I have all of this evidence that hasn't even really been touched by anyone else, at least now. And so she contacts the original defense team for Bucky 
And she's like, listen, I know you guys did your own investigation because your client went up for this murder. Can I have your your files from trial? And they say, sure. So she goes to pick it up and it's like 17 boxes full of stuff. It's bigger than the own law enforcement state side of the evidence. Is that surprising that the defense says yes? Maybe that's surprising because what if Bucky gets tried again? Because it just seems like his defense releasing... I don't know. It just seems like he... It's a little odd. Yes. I will give you that. He could get tried again. I don't know. Anything could happen. Mm -hmm. Which I'm not saying isn't a bad... I mean... It's not a bad thing. I don't know. At this point, I don't know who's done it. It doesn't seem... He really is the main suspect, though. With the picture and how horribly he was acting, like, everyone still feels as if Bucky did it, but they also just feel like maybe we need a little bit more evidence. Yeah. When she's going through the defense's stuff, she finds Bucky's mental exam that he took... Because they, you have to take someone if you're you have to take a mental exam if you're charging someone. Okay. And she discovers that he has an IQ of 61. Bucky shouldn't have been given a polygraph. He wouldn't have understood the questions being asked. Bucky could legally have a mental disability for how low of an IQ he has. Oh wow! Okay. So he was most likely taken advantage of by law enforcement. He was flustered, and then changed his story multiple times because he can't comprehend what's happening. He doesn't understand their questions. So almost like they're just trying to pin it on someone. Yeah. And this is hard because this is really the only evidence they had against him was his odd behavior. But then come to find out he has a mind of a child really. And Mm -hmm. so do we expect any different in a, such a heated interrogation? You know what I'm saying? This is hard. We see this a lot. People who have lower education, who have no, legal representation, which is why I'm telling you always ask for a lawyer, you can get taken advantage of. And so when you are, when you have a mental disability, you will get taken advantage of even more if you know, and they, they don't care. They'll Mm -hmm. do it, especially if they want to pin the murder on you. And so this, this is just like a big discovery as in we took this guy, we, he could have been charged with the death penalty and he probably wasn't even mentally able to take a polygraph test. But it's also kind of good now because she probably realizes it wasn't him. Well, she's like, I don't think it was him. It's got to be someone There's else. There's no physical evidence. And okay. she goes, and if it is him, we need to find more evidence. And this is why I said maybe do take a polygraph test. Because in this case, the it polygraph test helped Bucky. Because what if they had charged him? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So Lynn also verifies that James Coulter, the, the suspect that the defense put up at trial, he actually had an alibi the day of the kidnapping and she goes and checks it and everything. And she's like, okay, so he's not the suspect either. We were just throwing people under the bus. So she, at this point, doesn't believe it's Bucky or James. She's like, I don't think we have the right person. Okay. So on September 30th, 2013, Lynn Hunt interviews a prisoner who reached out to her. He says he roomed with a man who told him that he killed Jessica. The informant says that the guy said he held Jessica for a couple days at a barn and then took her life. He says he mutilated her body, cutting off her fingers, to make it look like it had been a drug deal gone bad. Like, if you don't pay us, we're going to cut your finger, cut your finger, and then they eventually killed her. He said he killed her because they were in a relationship. Keep in mind, this guy is old. So when she was 17, he would have been like 40, 50. Okay. So he's like, we were in a relationship. And then she decided to go on and get a boyfriend her own age at school. And that made him mad. And so Lynn says, okay, give me the name of the inmate. This guy who just said he killed Jessica said things that really the only the killer would know. It's kind of interesting. I feel like this happens a lot. Like prisoners, other prisoners just turn on each other. They just all, well, that, but they just tell each other everything. Uh Yeah. Like, yeah, I killed this person. Yeah, I did this. So the informant says, okay, I'll tell you who it was. It was Jessica's uncle Stanley who committed the murder. No Stanley who threw up while they were searching for her Stanley who came over when they said, Oh, I think I just heard Jessica say help me who happened to show up and then search and help. No way. Mm -hmm. Stanley who had done interviews. Okay. Keep going. Cause there's, if If this is true, it's realized after, I mean, you got to imagine. No way. She's shocked. She's like, no, there's no way. Well, then she goes and realizes this guy was actually in prison with Stanley and Stanley was actually in prison for nothing other than child sexual assault, being a pedophile. This was after the after, death. Yes. yes. They come to realize that Stanley, they, she figures out, she's like, where, where were you guys when Stanley threw up while you were searching for her? 
And they were like, oh, we were actually only about a half mile away from where Jessica's body was. So he was trying to distract everyone. He didn't want them to find her. So he threw up and said, let's go home. It's been enough. This has been so hard on everybody. Let's go home. Holy crap. He had tortured Jessica in a barn that was close to where her body was dumped. Stanley told the informant, his prison roommate, that he had hid some of Jessica's personal items in a tree around the area where her body was dumped. So Lynn gathers a team that includes Jessica's, one of Jessica's brothers, and searches for the physical evidence that can corroborate the story of the informant. They find the barn, and Lynn goes in and just starts searching for the barn. If this is where Stanley had really held Jessica, there has to be some evidence in yeah. here. But keep in mind, this is a party barn. This is where the kids go to party. So there's, there's so much stuff in here. Like, it's just trashed. She's going through it and notices a piece of material sticking out under a pile of stuff. And Lynn's like, that, this looks familiar. And she realizes the material is the same fabric or pattern that was on Jessica's bed when she went and searched Jessica's room when she went to Mike's house and he was like, oh, come in her room. It's the same. And she looks at it and goes, I think that's the same pattern that was on your sister's bed. That's what she says to Jessica's brother. And he's like, maybe I don't really remember. And she goes, well, I just searched the house. Like I remember it. But why? Like what? Okay. Just why would there be bed pattern? You know? Right. And so they lift the stuff up, they pull it out and they realize it's sheets. It's sheets. And so they're like, what the heck? So they rush back to Mike's house and they're like, what is this match? Number one. And number two, like, why is there sheets? So they run into her room. They realize it is, it's the same pattern as the comforter. They lift the comforter up because keep in mind, this room really hasn't been touched since she went missing. Her sheets are missing. It's just the mattress on the bed. That's why I asked if the FBI had searched the room. So, But the bed was made as in Jessica woke up and made the bed that day. So why would they have undressed the bed? They should have. Yes. But did they? No. No one did their job. What's going on? So on September 10th, 1999, Stanley Dishon went over to his brother Mike's house after everyone had left. And he knew that he waited until everyone had left. And as Jessica's going out to her car to go to school, he confronts her about her new boyfriend. He had been molesting and raping her for years. It started when she was 13. And when he found out that she got a boyfriend, he was furious. Oh my God. He yanked her out of her car while she was trying to dial 911. He knocked her shoe off and Jessica started threatening to tell what he had done to her when she was little. She was like, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to tell everyone. Well, this just makes him even more mad. And so she goes barreling back into the house, into her room, and he chases after her. They get into a fight And this is where he breaks Jessica's jaw because he knocks her out. And then he wraps her up in her sheet, remakes her bed and takes her to the barn where he held her for three days, raped and tortured her, cut off her fingers and then strangled her and then dumped her body. Holy crap. I can't believe that it was the uncle. I'm absolutely, that that thought didn't even cross my mind. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. When someone moves a body to where it can be found, which they knew happened like right after they found her body. This is usually an indication that it was someone close to the victim because they don't want her to just decay out there. Does that make sense? They actually want her to be found. Uh And like FBI profiling is like, oh, this is actually indicates that they at least cared about the victim in a way. This weird type of sympathy. Mm -hmm. And so they should have, they should have at least been like, maybe we should look at people close to her, but they were, their sights were set on Bucky. So during the investigation, Lynn discovers that three other family members of the Dishon family, the like extended family, who had also been molested and raped by Stanley Dishon along with Jessica. So he had been doing this to four girls in the family, not just Jessica. Stanley Dishon ended up pleading guilty to four counts of rape. How old is he at this time? He's old. I mean, I don't know the exact age, but okay. he's definitely not young. I mean, he's spent some time in prison at this point. Yeah. And then he also pleads guilty to manslaughter for the death of Jessica Dishon. And you might be like, well, what the heck? It's because he pled guilty instead of going to trial. So they cut a deal. Does that make sense? Uh So he received 20 years in prison. Only 20? Mm -hmm. And Mike said, you know, he'll be 70 something when he gets out. So he might be alive. Still though, 20 isn't that many. Mm -hmm. But it's because he pled guilty instead of, I mean, when you take someone to trial, it costs the state money. I'm just confused. He killed someone. I I know. Okay. So when Lynn finished the investigation and wrapped up the evidence, she actually finished going through the, the boxes, 
the the defenses boxes, you know, because she hadn't gotten all the way through them. But before she like when he was going to trial or pleading guilty, she was like, oh, I'll just finish going through these boxes. And she finds a letter in the box and it's back from 2002. So literally she was murdered in 1999. So 2002. And it's from an inmate in a prison who came who claims that word around town is that Stanley Dishon had killed his niece. So this essentially means that back in 2002, right after this case, someone had come forward and given a letter to not only the defense's team, but to the state and to the court saying, hey, everyone in prison is saying that it was Stanley, her uncle, who killed her. During the trial? During the trial of Bucky. I'm so I'm just so confused. So everyone had this information. So just no one decided to do their job. Apparently, everyone's sights were set on Bucky. The evidence was there from the beginning. This whole the whole reason that Lynn even found out what had happened in this case was because a prison informant led her, like gave her a clue. Mm-hmm. The clue was already there in 2002. Nobody just cared to even look. He was already admitting what he had done. I feel so bad for Mike and. Edna. Yeah. All sides of the team had this letter when they took Bucky to trial and nobody cared. This case could have been closed for Mike and Edna before they got divorced. They really did get just the short end of the stick. Literally. Like the entire time. Not only was their daughter, I mean, brutally murdered, no one helped. Yes, that's what I mean. They. It, yep. It's just horrible. I mean, and that's why I say I just pray that, that Mike and Edna at least feel some peace at times. Oh, man. And then for Mike to be like, it was my brother. Not only yeah. was my brother molesting my daughter because he lived at their house. But he killed. But he then killed my daughter. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, this is a this is a horrible one. But it's also one where. I mean, they're all horrible. I'm what if saying. Bucky had been charged and given the death penalty? Yeah. And he just was, he just, he just wasn't really smart enough to say I'm innocent in the correct way. Did anyone else suspect the uncle? Because I had, I had no idea. I didn't either. I was just like, what? Cause wow. why would you suspect him? The, the police hadn't been digging at all to try to even bring up any evidence against him. Yeah. That's the case of Jessica Dishon this week. And it's a crazy one. And also a reminder that we have a Patreon episode coming out this week. So if you really want to check that out, just visit Murder With My Husband Patreon. You can go ahead and sign up there. Links in our bio. We just want to say thank you again for all of the love and support. We seriously love you guys. Thank you for commenting. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for leaving reviews. I know that you guys do it and it helps us immensely. And you guys are just awesome. We wouldn't be here without you. Uh, We love this community. And we will see you guys next week for another episode. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye.